Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Good. I'm Scott Weatherford. We're really glad you're here. I want to say a special welcome to our friends from Arizona, from Palm Valley Church in Arizona. You guys wave so they can see who you are. Right there. Yeah. So this week, they've been down at, at, our, uh, at our house in Victoria. Uh, Kevin, your house in Victoria. And I've uh, been doing relief work in Refugio. And uh, Tara's been their house mom. So I've given up my wife for four days for you guys. So I'm a hot mess. I know you've been well taken care of, but I'm a wreck. So Tara, you're almost as sweet as the second coming of Jesus to see you today, baby. So glad you're back. So uh, I said that she is a great cook and I am not starving, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're really glad they're here. And uh, so it's, it's just, we're gonna have a good day today. We're excited about what God's doing. Uh, the last service was incredible. And um, Michael Cooper, Dan, I want to call an audible. Can I call an audible? You know, Omaha, Omaha. Uh, Michael Cooper saying, I could only imagine at the end of last service. Could we do that again? Is there any way possible we could do that? Jonathan, can we do it? He's right there. Michael, wave it. Michael, this is Jonathan. Jonathan, this is Michael. Okay, can we do it? It was so good. It's kind of like Tara's cooking. It's so good, it gots to have more, okay? All right, so good. All right, so audible call. So today we're going to be talking about heaven. That's why we want Michael to sing at the end of this because, you know, death is our dark secret. It's something that's in all of our future unless the Lord comes back, that every one of us is going to die. Now, I want you to hold on to this. You're not dead until God's done with you, okay? So you're immortal until God's finished with you. Now, teenagers, that don't mean you live like an idiot because God may kill you because you're an embarrassment, okay? Just say it. <laughs> But you're immortal until God's finished with you. God knows the days of our life before there was one of them. But we are, we're insecure about that. We, we're uncertain about that. We don't know what that means or how it's going to play out. And in our future, is we want to know what's going on. Or we've stood at the grave of our loved ones, and we wondered about the eternal destiny. Some of, of our loved ones have died with the hope that they're in Christ, and we, we realize that they're present with the Lord. I say this, I've not lost my parents. I know exactly where they are. They're with Jesus. They live with Jesus. My mom and daddy are not in a graveyard in Florida. They're at home in heaven with Jesus. I know that. They live with Jesus. But we're still uncertain. And today we're going to take a look at death. We're going to look at hope and death. We're going to look at the reality of heaven. And I want you to leave here today full of hope and full of encouragement. I want you to leave here today full of certainty. If you are uncertain about your eternal security, I want you to leave here today certain that you know that you will have a home in heaven. I'm really amazed how we often allow music to shape our theology about heaven. And we sing things like, I've got a mansion right over the hilltop. No, you don't. Well, I've got a shack on the edge of glory land. No, you don't. Or do y'all know that song, I'm kind of homesick for a country. Beulah land. Heaven is a person more than a place. And we sing songs that paint pictures of heaven with the reality of heaven. It's God. It's Jesus Christ. He is our home. And so we can't listen to songs to shape our theology 
our songs should be shaped by our theology, not vice versa. But we can look at Scripture, and Scripture can certainly give us clarity about heaven. Uh, you see, Jesus is the Lord of life. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He said to, to people, he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that these guys, even though they're dead, are alive in Christ. And they're alive. Uh, you think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That Jesus is there, and he's revealed in all his glory to Peter, James, and John. <clears throat> the two old boys show up with him. Moses and Elijah. And they're not dead. They're alive. They're alive with God. And they're, they, they're existing there with Jesus. Now get this. God would not let Moses go into the promised land while he was alive. But after he went to live with Jesus, he got to go into the promised land. Because he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. So it's the reality of God's promise with us. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. In fact, you were created to live forever. The wisest man on all the earth, Solomon, wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a God who put eternity in the heart of man. God knew your days before you were one of them. When you were conceived in your mother's womb, God put eternity in your heart. In fact, God knew all about you before you were conceived. He knew all about you before he stepped out and created the world. And he appointed the time you'd place you would live. You're not here by accident. You're here by the purpose of God, for the glory of God, for the duration God has you on this place, this planet, and then your eternal destiny is to be home with him in heaven if you choose Christ. You see, the decision shapes your destiny. Every culture, except for atheism, has a view of the afterlife. Now, atheism even has a view, it's called annihilation. They believe that when you're dead, you're dead and you disappear like a dog or a cat. You just become fertilizer, worm food. I think that's rather disappointing. It's shallow, intellectual um, uh, stupidity, I would say, because we are eternal beings. Every system has a belief that God has placed eternity in our heart. Every other belief system except for Christianity says you have to do something to be right with your God. You have to do this ritual or you have to keep these vows or you have to make this journey or you have to give this sacrifice. When Christianity, Jesus says, all you have to do is believe in me. That he inclusively calls people to himself relationally. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gave a very powerful speech to his disciples. They were certain that Jesus was going to be crucified. Jesus had told them. He told them by what manner he would die. And many times when we say something about the future, when somebody else says that we really don't believe it, and then when it becomes reality, we see it and we understand it in the hindsight of history. Do you know often God's will for us is revealed in the hindsight of obeying God? You look back and go, oh, that was God, yeah. I was supposed to do that. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, he pulled back the veil and he said to something to the disciples that some theologians believe was a Jewish wedding proposal. That when a Jewish man would marry a, a, a Jewish woman, he would make this speech to them. And he would say, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If we're not so I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you that where I am, you will be also. And it was a betrothal speech. 
that one day I'm going to marry you. And we're going to go live in the Father's house. And we're going to be together. And it's so relational because God is a relational God first and foremost. God has created us to be relational first and foremost. And John was writing to prove the deity of Christ, but he was also writing to pull back the veil on the relational power of Christ, that he wants us to belong to each other and belong to him. The, um, one of the great theologians I read this week said, Jesus made this speech to us as a groom would to his bride because we are the bride of Christ. Do you know that's why Jesus was never married? Because he had the church as his bride. And Jesus is not a polygamist. He wasn't going to have many wives. He's going to have one, and that's us, the church. Now, this is further proved in what Paul wrote in his writings to the church at Ephesus. In fact, after Easter, I will be teaching eight-week series through the last part of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 through uh, chapter 6. And we're going to take a deep dive into hope for us relationally found in, in God's Word. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 13 and 14. And this is kind of strange, but let me kind of tell you what it means. In him, that's Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. You see, you cannot believe in God until you hear about the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and rose again and glory, and you then believe. And believing is not intellectual knowledge. It's the knowledge of your head and the emotion of your heart that forms the I will decision of believing. And you believed in, in him. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, that word sealed is kind of a funny word. He, he, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? To praise be to his glory, to Jesus. In other words, this word sealed, what Paul was using was a picture of a young man putting a wedding ring, an engagement ring on his intended. To quote the great theologian Beyonce, he put a ring on it. <laughs> and see what he's saying there, as he's saying that I'm going to promise you, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to marry you. One November night at a duck pond in Tallahassee, Florida, I made a promise to Tara and after I borrowed some money from her brother, <laughs> I put a ring on her finger. Then after her mama and her planned all the details of a wedding, and I learned for the first time in my life to keep my mouth shut. We got married, and we made that promise to one another. Promise to one another. And this is what Jesus said. I have sealed you with the Holy Spirit because one day I'm going to bring the promise of us being together into fruition. I go and prepare a place for you because I love you and I'm a relational God and I want you to know me. So today we're going to take a look at this great speech by Jesus found in John chapter 14. Pastor John, he writes about the person of Christ and then in his epistles he, he writes about the people of Christ and then finally in the revelation of John he talks about the glory of Christ. So today we're going to read, we're going to look, we're going to analyze, and, and I believe God's going to give you hope, renewed hope, hope and death, because death has lost its victory in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you.
for what you're going to say to us today. And I pray that you clear up my muddled thinking, my confusing speech. And Father, that you will speak through me and I will say the words that these folks need to hear and give them the encouragement that you have for them. And I pray, oh God, that we will walk out of here with a renewed hope, a renewed hope in you, even as we face the certainty of our mortality, but we live in the reality of our immortality because of you. And we pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So congratulations, guys. You made the time change. How does it feel? Some of y'all said the time changed. Yeah, you're looking around. I've never seen y'all at this gathering before. Yeah. So congratulations. Arizona has it right. Y'all do not change your time. Would your wisdom spread throughout the whole land? We would, would y'all agree with that? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I don't know who likes time change Sunday. Benjamin Franklin, let's go to Philadelphia, dig him up and punch him in the throat. Okay, all right. Here's the first thing I want you to take out your, your, your study guides and, and write this down. I want to encourage you to go online and download the devotional for this week because I talk more about heaven in the five-day devotional, as you can read there. There's some things that I'm saying, those things that I'm not going to be presenting today, some things about hell that you want to read about, uh, some things about eternity, some theology about Jesus. So you could read that in the devotional as well as there. And our group material uh, this week, the video I've done is about Jesus talking about heaven and hell and the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And from that account, we discover a biblical name for dogs. Y'all didn't know that, did you? Biblical name for dogs is moreover. The King James says, moreover, the dog came and licked his wounds. So that was as bad as the chicken joke, y'all. I got to give up. Here's the first thing. Jesus is, that's just silly. Jesus is the cure for a troubled heart. Jesus is the cure for the troubled heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is so insightful for Jesus. He knows our uncertainty about our lives. He knows our uncertainty about our future. He says, I don't want you to have a troubled heart. God wants you to live this life with an untroubled heart. But I would dare say that most of us in this room today are living with a troubled heart. You're uncertain about the future. The banker has said something and it's given you a troubled heart. The doctor has made a diagnosis and you're living with a troubled heart. Uh, your spouse has said something or done something and you're living with a troubled heart. Your kids have given you a troubled heart. Can I get an amen? Yeah. yeah. Uh, notice you're, you, all you guys, you know what? One day teenagers, you will be parents and you will be repentive. I will just say that, okay? <laughs> But you're living with a troubled heart, but then you'll get to be grandparents and you'll be indulgent. It is awesome. So you live with a troubled heart. And Jesus is so insightful. The first thing he says is he talks about your future. Hey, in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. I want you to live with a troubled, free heart. But we don't do that, do we? We, we roll around in our misery. And we worry about things. My dad, right before he died, he said this to, I remember he was talking to Stan, my brother, the great learned Dr. Stan Weatherford. And he said, boys, preacher boys, we'll tell you something. Most stuff you worry about doesn't happen, and if it does, it doesn't amount to anything. 
Don't waste your time worrying. It just, it just aggravates you and, and it makes God shake his head. Let not your heart be troubled. You see, when we build our hopes and our desires on anything other than Christ, we're going to have a troubled heart. When I build my hope for the future on anything but Jesus, I'm going to have a troubled heart. When I build my future on whether or not I have money in the bank, I'm going to have a troubled heart. Or health or relational, uh, I'm, I'm going to have a troubled heart. And this is something I've noticed. I've noticed that I lose hope and I tend to drift in my life when I don't focus on Jesus and my heart gets troubled. And Jesus says this, he said, believe in God, believe also in me. And what he was saying to these Jewish boys, you've got a whole culture that believes in God, but I want you to know I'm God. I'm the revelation of God. I'm God with you. I'm God for you. I'm God who knows what you're going through. I'm God. And it's the same God you said you believed in. Now you see him. I and the Father are one. I am God. Believe in me. Believe in me. And to those Jewish boys, they were going, Oy vey, this is him. And to us, we should say, Golly, it's him. It's him. He is the revelation of what we've been desiring. He is the God who loves us enough to meet me at my place of understanding who he is. To meet me at my place of understanding who he is. Y'all, I have a lot of titles. But my favorite title is Papa. I'm Papa. I'm Papa to Lily and Ivy. I'm Papa to some others. I'm Papa. I love that title. And I will tell you something. As Papa, my job is never for the kids that I love for them to adjust to me. My job is to adjust to them. And I meet them at their place of understanding. Last week, we went down to New Braunfels and we had uh, supper with, with Kayla and Ivy and Lily. And um, Tara takes Ivy on a walk. You know, there in New Braunfels, they have this beautiful uh, place called Creekside and they've got a creek that runs through it and, and, and Ivy likes to go play in the creek and Gigi took her over to the creek and she got her hands in the water and Gigi decided she needed to wash her hands in a bathroom and she opened up this, this store door to go into the bathroom. She opened up and she looked at me and said, Papa, it's the ice cream place. Because she knew Papa would say what? Let's get some. Because I was meeting her at her place of interest. My wife ain't buying this, but that's just an awesome place. You get a big old bowl, get put stuff on it. It's awesome. Anyway, but that's what God does for us. He meets us at our place of understanding. He doesn't say, come up to me. I'm going to come down to you. In every belief system in the world, a holy man is someone who lives on a mountain. You go up to be with. In Christianity, we have a God 
who's Emmanuel, God with us. And as Christians, our holiness is displayed in community, not in isolation. And he's a God who meets with us. And when I understand Christ, I understand his abiding presence, then my heart is not troubled because my focus shifts on him. You see, Jesus has always been our home. Always. Listen to what he says. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, some translations say mansions, and that's a mistranslation because it makes it sound like that there's some kind of planned community in heaven, like a kissing tree that's down in New Braunfels. That's a 55-plus community with a golf course and homes that are too small and too expensive. Let not your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. We don't have mansions, estates. We're not moving into Sun City. We're moving into the father's house. If we're not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. One theologian, Warren Wiersbe, said this, Jesus was a carpenter. And while on earth, he was building his church, and now he's building a home for his church in heaven. That he's building And when we say building lives that honor God, we are honoring the carpenter we follow because Jesus doesn't build edifices, he builds people. I should have got an amen, but you guys missed an opportunity, okay. And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself. This taking me to myself is such an intimacy. It's like talking to the bride. I'm going to take you to myself. In the the story Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus, he said, the rich man died and he went to hell. And Lazarus, the poor man, died and he went to the bosom of Abraham. That he was nestled in the arms of God. Wow. That God is relational and he'll take me to be with himself that where I am, you will be also. I don't want to live without you. So heaven is more than a place to abide. Heaven is, is Jesus. It's his presence. It's his presence. The other day, Tara and I were talking about living in Wimberley. And I said to her, I said, baby, how do you like living in Wimberley? She said, it's Okay. And then she says, home is where you are. Home is where Papa is. And I've said that to Tara. She's been my home. She is my home. One day, one of us is going to lay the other one of us in the arms of Jesus. And then home will be richer. For home will not only have Jesus but home will hold my beloved. I tell her often that I want to, I want her to die before I do because I do not want her to experience the pain of loss. Now, y'all know I'm going to be a hot mess if she goes for me. Y'all know that, right? I'll be crying like a little cat. Y'all going to have to help me. But I know as a family, we help each other. Because home is a person. It's Jesus. 
Robert Frost, the great theologian, or the great poet, he said this. He said, uh, home is a place that when you arrive, they have to take you in. Let me ask you a question, church. What if we, as the family of God here in the Wimberley Valley, what if First Baptist Church was known as a home for people's hearts? That when you showed up here, we have to take you in. You're welcome. On April 14th, we're going to have a car show, bicycle, motorcycle show out on the parking lot. There's going to be some rough folks show up. We'll take them in. We'll take them in. Because this is home. And it's the preparation for the next home. You know, we think about church as a place to come, but no, it's a people to which to belong. It's a family. We're the bride of Christ. Moses, the great prophet of God, Moses wrote this about himself. He was the most humble man in all the earth. I think that's funny that he wrote that. We'll be talking about humility later in a series coming up. But he said this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What? I thought the promised land was like Moses' big deal. Why, didn't, why do you think Moses didn't pick up a, put up a big fight when he said, God said, Moses, you're not going to go in the promised land. Why did Moses go, okay, that's cool. Because he knew the promise was not a land. The promise was a person. And it's God himself. Moses knew that the promise was God. We don't have estates. We don't have shacks. We have a dwelling place with God. In my father's house are many rooms. Several years ago, Tara and I went to Petra in Jordan. We went to Israel, then we went down to Petra to tour the the amazing city the Nebuchadnezzar built in the the rocks of of Petra. It's amazing. And we stayed at a five-star resort that was by the gates of Petra, and it was a former Bedouin compound. And this wealthy Bedouin family, it was 2,000 years old, this compound. And they turned it into this opulent five-star resort. And what it was, was a collection of rooms that were just built upon, built upon one another over the centuries of time. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Heaven is community. Heaven is home with Christ. And when Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms, he was literally showing them Like in your culture, you go live with Papa. And in your faith, you go to live with the Father. Hmm. Heaven is the tabernacle of God, is the dwelling place of God. John in his revelation, he said it this way. It's amazing that we're reading out of John in his gospel, then we read in his revelation. As he heard Jesus give this speech about heaven, later God would pull back the curtain where John could actually see heaven. And this is what he said. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them 
as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And I listen to that, and I understand theologically that God was preparing, has been preparing people for the abode of heaven throughout the generations. When Moses carried the, the people out of, out of bondage in Egypt, and God said to him, build a tabernacle and place it in the center of community, and that's where I'm going to live. I'm going to live right there among you. I'm going to live right among you. And then later, they, they introduced the festival of booths, where our, our tabernacles, where they would go, the Jewish people would leave their homes and go on a kind of a camping experience to commemorate the time they were in, in, in the desert, in the wilderness, and they were reminding that God was living there with them in their wilderness journey. God was at the center of their community. And then, and then the angel came and he said, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then John said in his revelation, and God will dwell with his people. Heaven is not up there. Heaven is God coming to be with us. And in heaven, God stops the pain and the separation. And heaven is impressive. And as we read John's account about the impression of heaven, and he talks about the opulent beauty, and he, he can't even explain it. He says the, the streets are gold, and, and there's trees with healing in their leaves, and the walls are beautiful gemstones, and he can't even explain it. And he said in the single, the gate is a single pearl, and every Cajun wants to see the oyster from which that pearl came from. They're thinking gumbo. And that's impressive. But you know what's impressive to me? When God steps out and he says, no more. No more. No more crying. Heard a preacher recently said, oh, there'll be tears in heaven as we mourn over our sins and God will wipe away those tears as we mourn over our sins. And I say hogwash. Because when we stand in the presence of God, our unrighteousness falls away from us and we are covered in the robe of his righteousness and he wipes away our tears because we've been grieved on this place and the precious nail-pierced hands of God, the rough, callous hands of a carpenter will wipe away my tears. No more death. No longer will I be forced to gather in a funeral home with grieving families in a stuffy coat and tie thinking of something I might say that might bring hope to these people or standing on a hot Texas afternoon under the broiling sun and listening to people sob in their grief. No more death. Done. Over. No more pain. Can I get a witness? No more pain. When I get up off that bench and walk up these 59,000 flight of stairs to stand on this stage, no more pain. 
I watched Jonathan Early leap up here like a young deer, and I was jealous. My heart was vexed against you, my brother. <laughs> no more pain. No more separation. I can't wait to see my mama and my daddy. I imagine mama's driving Jesus crazy, but I can't wait to see mama and daddy. Can't. I've stood by the grave of too many people I've loved, and I'm ready to hear the no more. I'm ready to hear the no more. No more night. There's not going to be any need for night because the Son of God will illuminate our lives. And I will know and be known even as I am known. And in the presence of God, there's love and joy. And God will make all things new. Listen to what John goes on to say. And he who is seated on the throne, that's God, he says, behold, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I'm making all things new. And I want to tell you something. Heaven will not be your home unless you have been made new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That because of Jesus, I have been made new and I've been made fit for heaven. It's not by the good I've done, the knowledge I have, the scripture I can quote. God's not impressed with that. God is impressed because as a seven-year-old boy, I said yes to Jesus, and he said, I'm making you new. And heaven is fit for new folk. Have you been made new? I'm not talking about church you attending. I'm not talking about walking an aisle or being baptized. I'm talking about, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ where you've said to him, Jesus, I'm yours. Are you new? If you are, heaven's your home. If you're not, today is your new day. The new day. And your reality of heaven is hinged upon your decision. So what happens when we die? Let me tell you. The moment we die, we're ushered into the very presence of God. Paul said this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The soul, who you are, the real you. Guys, we talked about that on Thursday night, didn't we? The real you. Guys, if you missed that, I want to invite you to next, uh, not this Thursday, but next Thursday, the 22nd, men at first are gathering again, and we're going to have a Texas cookout. We're not going to be in the room. We're going to be out by the fire pit. We're going to build a fire. You can go fishing. You can, if you're old enough and you sign a waiver, you can play bubble ball. Hamburgers and bubble ball guys at Cornhole or whatever. And then we're going to have a campfire. We're going to have a campfire camp meeting on the 22nd. It's going to be awesome. So guys, you come. Girls, you can't come, okay, just for guys. So we're going to have that. And this past week, we talked about the soul. The soul is the real you. Have you ever walked by a mirror and did not recognize yourself because you've gotten so old? You go, who is that old man? It's me. 
It's me. You ought to have to watch yourself on videotape. Can I get a witness over yonder? Yeah. It's just like, wow. But your soul is a real you. And when you die, you're ushered into the presence of God. There's no purgatory. Purgatory is a road over yonder. It's not a reality in glory. There is no soul sleep where you just fall asleep and lay in the grave for eons and then finally you woke up. There's a theology behind that. It's not a good one. But you go into the presence of the Lord. Now, in the presence of the Lord, you abide in paradise with him. One day when Christ returns, our earthly bodies will be resurrected. The graveyard's gonna be the most happening place that day as people come forth from the grave and your glorified resurrected body will be reunited with the soul, the real you, and then you will have a body fit for eternity. A body fit for eternity. I'm looking forward to that new body. I'm gonna be a hunk of hunk of burning love, y'all. Okay? And we'll have that new body. Until the time the soul of who we are abides in the presence of God waiting for the resurrection when Christ comes. Paul said it this way. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, that's our bodies, inherit the imperishable, that's eternity. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal, the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, O grave, where is your stink? Done. Dan, years ago, back when I was a singer, we'd sing from the Messiah. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. That's enough, right? Yeah. And that's that passage of Scripture that changes everything about who we are. And now I want to say this to you. You're listening to all this, you're going, yeah, I just don't get it. Do you know doubting is normal? The disciples who were in the very presence of God struggled. Thomas said to him, now Thomas, he gets a bad rap. Do y'all know that? We call him Doubting Thomas uh, because he doubted the resurrection of Jesus. And and now Thomas asks this question. But I want to tell you something. Thomas shouldn't get a bad rap. Thomas went to India, according to tradition, and preached the gospel in India. When I was in India, I met people who were Christians because of Thomas's influence. And they said to me, we're from this group that Thomas preached to in India. It was amazing. Thomas is also one when, uh, when the disciples were trying to tell Jesus not to go to Jerusalem. They said, Jesus, last time we went down there, they tried to kill you. We shouldn't go back. And then Thomas said, hey, let's go. If he's going, we're going. We'll but die. What's the big deal? Thomas said what we all say. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You see, death is our biggest enemy. Earlier in the book of John, you see the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus, as they say in Texas, he's a graveyard dead. He's four days stinking dead. He was stinking dead. And Jesus raised him from the grave. And you read about Jesus weeping. 
Now, I've written about this in the devotional, so you can read a little more about this. Why did Jesus cry at the graveyard? Was he grieving over Lazarus? No, I don't think so. He was mad. He was M-A-D mad. He was mad at death. And he cried hot tears of anger. I know something about hot tears of anger because I'm married to Tara. And she only cries when she's mad. And when she's mad and she starts crying, I start repenting and confessing. I make up stuff to confess just to keep her from crying. And Jesus stood at that grave that day crying hot tears of anger. And this, I think this is what he was saying. Dead gummit, death, I'm going to kick you in the teeth that my people are not going to have to be under the scourge anymore. I'm going to do away with this. Oh, oh. Do you know Lazarus, raised from the dead, became the bishop of Cyprus? And I bet you when Lazarus preached about death, he preached with a gleam in his eye. You guys have no idea. I've been there. I've been there. Wow. And Jesus says to Thomas, and he says to us, the door of grace is open to you because I'm the door. John said it earlier in his gospel, said, I'm the door. You can't come to the sheepfold unless you come through the door. And I am the door. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some people say to me, oh, Scott, this, this is making Christianity so exclusive. But I want to tell you, that's a, that's a pronouncement of ignorance. This is a pronouncement of inclusion. There's nothing more inclusive than God himself saying, all you have to do is come to me. You don't have to get right. You don't have to follow a creed or a structure or a religion or a ritual. All you have to do is come to me. I invite you all to come. Now, some people teach this, that God has only selected some to come and everyone else will go to hell. But I want to tell you that's not true. Because Jesus said, whosoever will may come. And in his grace, he offers it to you. In his sovereignty, he knows who will and who won't. But in his love, he says, come on. Come on. I heard a, a pastor say this once, Dr. Lowell Young. He said, when you walk into the gates of glory, you see over the, described over the gates, whosoever will may come. And when you go through the gate and you look back over the gate, it says, chosen before the foundations of the world. Now I want to tell you something else that's going to hurt your Baptist brain. If you're listening to this talk today, either in this room or online or even on Vimeo later, you have been chosen by God to receive his grace. You are the elect. He's chosen you. How could you say that's God? Very easily. Because you've heard the gospel. And now you have the choice. Will you choose Christ? Will you give your life to Christ? 
because he says, come on, come on. Well, pastor, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, but Jesus does, and he says, come on. Pastor, you don't know where I've been. No, but Jesus does, and he says, come on. Well, Jesus, I need to get my act together, and Jesus goes, dream on. You can't get your act together. In fact, you don't need a new leaf. You need a new life, and I want to make you new today. Come on. Come to Jesus. So heaven is a person. His name is Jesus. So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That where I am, you will be also. And you know where I'm going. Lord, we don't, we don't know where you're going. We don't, we don't know the way. I am. The great pronouncement of God's name himself. I am. The everlasting one. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the one who is and was and will be and evermore shall be. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come on. Come on. Father, thank you for what you've said to us in your word this morning. And I pray, oh God, We will not leave here the same, but we will leave here eternally altered. Father, there's some folks in this room that they belong to you and they know it. They've been made new. And and I pray, Father, those of us will just, will relish in that and we'll celebrate in that and we'll find hope in that and we'll walk away from here going that we don't have to live with a troubled heart because we believe in God. And you got us. And Father, there's some in this room that today they need to be made new. And I pray, oh God, that those under the sound of my voice, whether here in this room or over the internet or however how they're hearing this message, they will join the redeemed. If that's you and you know it, God's pulling on your heart, I would invite you to pray with me this prayer. Just pray it simply believing. Jesus, I'm yours. I want to be made new. I need my sins forgiven. I need my heart changed. I need for heaven to be my home. I need you, Jesus. I commit myself to you. Come into my life. Be my savior. Jesus, I'm yours. If you just prayed that prayer with me, Welcome to the family. We're going to get to live together forever with Jesus. If you're still thinking about that, then stop. Come home. Say yes. Find life. Find Christ. Thank you, Lord, for what we've experienced today. We pray this all in your strong name. Amen.